on the top of your study notes. The first couple of weeks, we made a point about who we are and what we have in Christ. We talked about justification, which is the idea that God has declared us righteous because of uh, what Christ has done for us in the person of Jesus. And so we said, in Christ, you already have infinitely more than you can possibly need. And then last week, we added this little proviso, this little second part of this. If, if you actually need him. In Christ, you already have infinitely more than you could possibly need if you actually need him. What we mean by saying this is that the wonders of Christ's riches, which are made available to us in the person of Jesus and on the cross, and are not yet made fully complete, that will happen in glory, but nonetheless, they are given to us to live from, to live out of. That's the new identity of being in Christ. If we live like God has made us for his glory and for his purposes, then we will need the Holy Spirit. But, but let's just be frank. If you want to go through life where your main goals are security, safety, 401k, retirement, so that you can just kind of enjoy things here and now, if you want to go through life to get a better job or have more safety or keep your kids secure, uh, well, then, like, I hope you enjoy that because the Scripture basically says that is your reward. Like, that is the reward. So you can go through life without really needing the Holy Spirit to animate you, to renew you, to remake you into the image of God. If your purposes in life are safety, security, and just to kind of keep your own little world happy here, you can do that. I hope you enjoy that. (laughs) What, What God's project in us is, is something that far eclipses that. In fact, the first verse that we'll look at today in verse 18 says what that earthly stuff is isn't even worth comparing and and earthly stuff includes the suffering we'll talk about but if you want to live your life and experience reward you can do that without god's help so for example if you're if your goal for participation in the body is that you can just kind of have this sort of knowledge about jesus so that you can take him in and out of the glove compartment when you need him. Sort of like salt and pepper on your life when you like, need some sort of zest. If, if Jesus is just going to functionally be a condiment for your life, then you can do that. You can sit here for an hour on Sunday and enjoy that kind of life, this side of heaven, because that will be what you get. What Paul is saying that we actually have in Christ, through the power of the Spirit in us, is the riches of Christ to remake us and to reshape us into people who who make known God's glory and goodness. That is an entirely different project. That's an entirely different project than self-sufficiency and satisfaction this side of heaven. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And, And the road to going from, I like my life here, And I enjoy that reward here. The the transition of going from that as your goal to a place where God's made known will have to go through the road of suffering. That's part of what we talked about last week, and this is also in in your notes there. Present transformation means that you are adopted if you actually suffer. You're an adopted son or daughter of God if you actually suffer. We said that God's greatest goal for you is to make you into a vessel for His glory. So suffering is going to be, for the Christian, the byproduct of a life that is engaged in battle against sin. And that's what this life really is. So, so the Christian life, when it's engaged in a battle against evil and sin in one's own life and in the lives of others, 
will be acquainted with suffering and grief. So suffering is going to be the path we tread to glory. If we're following Jesus, we will know it and experience it. And the word that this passage uses to describe that, that expression of, of, of suffering is the word groan. Groaning. It's used three different times in our passage today. Three different times in our passage today in verses 22, 23, and uh, 25, I believe. Uh, we'll get to those in just a second, but it sort of lays out for us uh, the three ways that this groaning happens. Number one, through creation. Number two, through the church. And number three, through the Holy Spirit. And those are the three different uh, contexts for that groaning to take place. We'll talk about how the creation itself groans. We'll talk about how we, as the people of God, groan. And we'll talk about the Holy Spirit and how He groans for us. Now, now, now let's, before we get into the text, just point out that this groaning, this groaning is sort of like grief. It's like I feel in my bones, I feel and I experience with an intimacy the sort of effects of sin. Some of y'all who, um, who have struggled with cancer, my mom uh, has had cancer. I know that this experience touches all families pretty much nowadays. That's an experience in one's body of like, physical entropy and, and death to the body happening in a way that you can experience and know in intimate kinds of ways. And, and when you're experiencing cancer uh, in, in your body or in your family or along with somebody, they feel that grief. That's like a groaning. Now, if this security safety world, this side of heaven, is where you live, then your grief's going to be just grief. It's just going to be grief. You're just going to groan. You're going to be hopeless. But, but, but if you're on the Christian life to follow Jesus, your groaning is for glory. Your groaning is for a purpose. It's to a place. And an experience of perfection, an experience of God through eternity, that means your groaning is with hope. It's with purpose. It's not grief without purpose. It's suffering and grief and groaning for the purpose of God being made known in you. That is the project. And that's why these are hard words in Romans 8. You are adopted if indeed you suffer. A hard truth, but a good truth. That we continue to unpack. Let's start in verse 18. Go ahead and read that with me real quick. This is an amazing verse. Just this verse alone. If you want to take one verse out of this passage to memorize, verse 18 encapsulates it all. It's something that can, can get in your heart and, and really begin to change you. Verse 18 says, For I consider, this is Paul speaking, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. To us. Let's break it down. First phrase, for I consider. When we uh, often use that phrase, uh, we mean something like, why don't you think about this? Have, have, you ever, have you ever thought about this possibility? Let me, let me add this angle to your thinking as if that's something to consider. But, but the language here that Paul is using is stronger uh, than that. He's basically saying, this is something I've experienced. I've thought it through. I, I, I know what all the options are. And you can take this to the bank. Another synonym might be certain. For it is certain comes close to the meaning that he means here. So he's saying, for I consider that the sufferings, and by sufferings he means all manner of suffering, cancer, disease, illness, uh, death, 
abuse, betrayal, uh, whatever it is that goes in that category of the, the effects of sin this side of heaven, that suffering. And he says, I consider that those sufferings, the sufferings of this present time, meaning of this life, are not, this is an incredible, incredible thing he says, are not worth comparing. He says, I mean, they're, they're bad, don't get me wrong. But the sufferings of this life are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He's saying there's not even a comparison to it. You can compare a cup of water to the ocean. That's a comparison. That's worth making a comparison about. We can understand how small that cup is compared to the old ocean. This, he says, is not even that. The presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of Paul is so strong that he can say, 2 Corinthians 4, that it's a light and a momentary affliction. Is that the presence of the Spirit in you? Is that the presence of the Spirit in us? Is, is your relationship with God so bedrock strong that whatever comes at me in life, whatever it is, I call it light, momentary. It's a temporary affliction. That, that compared to the eternal weight of glory, of God being made known in His perfection and His wonder and His majesty and His glory, compared to that, anything you send my way, light, momentary, temporary affliction. This is a guy who'd been shipwrecked. I mean, for Paul to make a statement like verse 18 is unbelievable. It's so unbelievable. Anybody who looks at his life goes, that's, that's not normal. That's got to be God. I mean, how do you think he became a witness? He became a witness because shipwreck, being robbed, being beaten multiple times to within an inch of his life. This is a man who traveled all over the known world in, in, in ways that meant that he came under persecution time and time and time again. So for a guy like Paul to say, verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The Holy Spirit's presence him the presence of god was so tangible so palpable for him that whatever came his way was light <laughs> it's momentary it's it's not even worth comparing to how amazing his picture of god was now now here's the thing the vision of who god is and what his glory is is what he had in mind his eyes were focused on who God was and the presence of God in his life. His eyes were not focused down here where we often are. That's what the presence of God in your life does. It makes you say crazy things like the, the, the sufferings of this present time are just not even worth comparing. <sighs> not even worth comparing. Now, now I get it. I get it. <laughs> I'm not saying suffering is not real. I'm not saying suffering isn't hard. I mean, if you've been with us for the last number of months, you know that I hurt my finger in January. Uh, actually, no, December. Hello. Uh, end of December, I hurt my finger. And uh, for you know a few seconds, I thought, oh, my life is over. 
I mean, I felt like that about it. I thought, I- I'm done. But now I look back and I'm like, it's just a finger. And then the finger had gone. If the whole hand had been gone, who, who cares? I mean, yeah, I couldn't do some things. But like, compared to that, it's just a finger. I, I, I know suffering's real. I know, I know things hurt. I don't know if this is your experience, but, but I get up in the morning sometimes and I make the long trek from the bed to the bathroom. It's about a mile. <laughs> and I can heart, like I'm barely alive and I'm, you know, my, my body, even at 41, is a little bit creaky. I've got some long-term injuries uh, and so I'm, you know, feeling my way there eventually and, and I turn on the light and I'm like Gollum in Lord of the Rings, can't, can't take the light. And so I, I step into the shower, and, it, and we're like 60 seconds into our day. The shower is turning on, and I'm just sitting there going. And my mind is saying, do you, are you sure you want to do this? Like, like your body is telling you, there's just no way you can do this. I mean, I get that life can be overwhelming by the time you're 60 seconds into the day. But that weight, that feeling, even physically in your body, light and momentary compared to that. Nothing. It's not even worth comparing. It's so different. That's what Paul's saying in verse 18. If we lived verse 18, people would take notice and you would be a witness. Just flat out. Oh Lord, how can I be a better witness for you? Live this verse and people will look at you and they'll go that has got to be the presence of an eternal perfect being because you can't make that happen and I can't make that happen by myself verse 18 is super great stuff and it's sort of the big idea for the whole passage that Paul is preparing for us this this vision of Christ-like suffering by having us look to a future of glory so he's setting that up at the very beginning he's saying you've got to have this in mind if you're going to suffer like Christ, this side of heaven. So let's hurry up and get through this, lest we be here for two hours, because we've got a lot more to go. 19 to 22, this is about creation's groan and hope. And we're saying and hope every time, because it's not just groaning, it's groaning with hope. It's groaning with a purpose. It's groaning with a future. Verse 19 says, For the creation waits with eager longing. Now by creation here, we, we don't mean... Everything in all in creation, including us, we mean just the inanimate creation, not humanity. So humanity is distinct from this. It says, the creation waits with eager longing. That, that word for eager longing there, waiting for eager longing, is a word that basically means like to, to, to crane one's neck. Uh, it, it literally is the idea of, uh, well, the word is literally head stretch away from. So it's, it's, it's like creation, and, and here's a concept you may not have thought before, but, but all of creation is on tiptoe, one version says, on tiptoe to see God made, made real in your life. And that's how important this is. This, is. this is of cosmic significance here. What Paul is saying is all of creation wants to know, is eagerly longing for the number one project on the planet that's ever happened to happen in your life, which is God being made known in you through the Spirit. That's the number one thing. And, and it's so important that creation is waiting with eager longing, he says, for the revealing of the sons of God. 
So there is a cosmic significance to your life, Christian. This, this Christian life, this spiritual war to offer more of your mind and your body to the Spirit is what God is doing. You know, we put this in terms like, I think, I think I'm supposed to do this, and I think I'm supposed to do this, and I think maybe after that I can hopefully do this. I mean, like, we've got this plan about what we're going to do with our lives. And if, the, and if the plan is not the holiness of God, then there's something about your plan that's, that, that's wrong. Let me just say it that way. It's okay to have plans. It's okay to have goals. <laughs> but if those goals have left out the holiness of God being made known in your life, then, then scrap them because they're pointless. There's a cosmic significance to your life. So don't believe the lie that, that there's this project going on other than what God is doing in your life. That is the whole project. It's so important, Paul says, that creation itself is eager to see God made known to us. Now, now, why does he put this in such lofty terms in the first couple of verses here? Because he knows suffering is real, and because he knows suffering is going to happen. This is a guy who has, who has experienced suffering at a level that most of us could, could never fathom. There are people around the world today who still experience this. But, but, but frankly, in the United States, we're pretty much sheltered from some of the experiences that Paul has had in terms of suffering. He knows it's going to be hard, so he's saying, keep the vision up there. Keep the vision about creation eagerly awaiting God being revealed in you. He says this. Here comes the suffering part. The creation, verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, uh, to frustration, to being at the end of itself, to being limited because of sin. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In other words, God has justifiably called sin to task and subjected even creation to judgment. So sin is so pervasive and destructive that it's not just our hearts, it's all of creation that's broken. It's all of creation that has fallen. That's what he's saying here in this verse. And, and it was subjected to futility, not willingly, verse 20, but because of him who subjected it, verse 21, in hope, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption by Christ and His work and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now remember last week we said that uh, the road to glory goes through the cross. These verses further explain why that's the case. The only fix for our sin is the same as the only fix for creation. One of the things we said in our uh, series of the last few years in Genesis and Revelation was that, that God is creating a new heavens and a new earth. I mean, this, the earth as it is now won't work as a place where we can have eternal, forever relationship with God. Something's going to have to change about all of it, including our bodies and our spirits, for us to continue to have relationship with God into eternity and in perfect ways that He promises for us. So, so the road to glory goes to the cross because the only fix for creation's problem of sin, just like ours, is Jesus' perfect life. I mean, Paul's saying crazy cosmic stuff here. Jesus' life even sets free creation from its bondage to decay. There are biological realities going on that are far beyond our understanding. So, verse 22, he says, For we know, we don't simply perceive something, but we're experiencing it. The word know in Scripture is usually a very intimate kind of thing. It's not just an intellectual thing as we've come to know it. 
It's something we know, experience intimately. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning, there's that word groaning, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. In other words, creation is itself writhing in pain at the effects of sin. Creation itself is actually suffering just like you are. I'm going to try to tell you how that works. (laughs) But Scripture says that creation suffers along with us, groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Creation is writhing in pain at the effects of sin. And here's the thing. You and I are not immune to it, which is the transition to the next verse here. You and I as the church are not immune to it. Verse 23, he says, not only creation, but we ourselves, he's referring to the church, God's own people, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. The first fruits is a way of saying like we have a down payment of the divine promise of our someday glory. Even we who have that down payment, verse 23, groan inwardly, we groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. It's sort of like the, 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 the going to the bathroom thing in the morning. There are times when like I'm, I'm halfway through the day and I know I'm only 41 and yeah, you're still really young. Uh, I know I'm only 41, but I have three kids and lots of responsibilities. And there are times I get to 2 o'clock in the day and I think, I haven't even remotely gotten to what I need to, got to get done today. And I think, you know what? <laughs> My body is so tired I could sleep for days. And that feeling is like that groaning for the redemption of our bodies. Now think of that concept. There will be a day when your very body will not be limited in knowing Jesus personally and forever. In a way that whatever, whatever it is that your body can't do now, it will do perfectly. Your body is going to be part of how you get to have forever relationship with God. So your very body has to be redeemed. That's how phenomenally amazing this whole project that God is doing is. We are groaning inwardly, waiting for our adoption to come to fruition, and that is the redemption of our bodies. And that's a process that happens, this is why Paul is talking about this, with the Spirit working in us. The Spirit working in us so that we groan, not just in that way that's for this earthly goal, but for the heavenly goal. That's why it's a hope That's why a hope that we were saved in. Verse 24, it says, For in this hope we were saved. The hope that this pain of life will someday go away. The hope of the fullness of redemption where old and worn out bodies that can't do what they need to do will end. But there's something I want to point out about groaning. I think think we often get stuck in this place of, of sort of earthly groaning. Like, if only... I could do whatever I wanted to do. Like if only, and this is where we get stuck often, if only the pain would go away. And I don't just mean like bodily pain, but every experience of groaning and suffering emotionally, spiritually, physically, this side of heaven. I think, I think oftentimes we get stuck in this place where we're just like, I just, I just want the pain to go away. Which is good. That will happen. But I think what Paul is saying here is that true Christian groaning, true Christian groaning that's, that's spiritually led groaning, 
is this vision. This vision of which I'm just a, a small part. This vision of God's glory and His perfection and His goodness and His mercy and His love and His kindness, His justice, His righteousness. All of these things that are descriptors of God that are infinitely perfect beyond measure, beyond my greatest thoughts of them. I'm groaning for that to be made known. Is that your groaning? Because that is the kind of groaning that all of creation, all of the church, and that the Holy Spirit longs for. You really think this is like just so your pain can go away? Oh, that's a piece of it. But the picture is so much larger. Because frankly, you and I, get this through your heads and our hearts, you and I are not worthy of glory. Can we get a witness? You're not worthy of glory. What do you think sin is? Rebellion against the only being on the entire planet and in the universe that's worthy of glory because he's majestic and he's holy and he's perfect and that's what needs to be made known. That's what needs to be made known. And when that is made known, our lives have the significance beyond what we could possibly conceive. So groaning is the bigger picture of God's glory. Don't get stuck in this place of groaning as if this this is it, like this is all that it's about. The evil one wants you to think that. Your life has more significance than that even. Now, keep reading. Verse 24, he says, uh, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees, which is a cool comment here, by the way. It's only hope if it's trust in God's inner spiritual work to redeem the world to himself. But if we hope, verse 25, for what we do not see, we wait for it with Patience. If we're hoping for something we don't see, if it's trust in God's work to fill the world with himself, then it's going to require patience because this is God's doing it in God's timing. That's part of how we get frustrated because it takes time. It's something we have to wait for because, honestly, we're just not in charge of it. So if we're not in charge of it, what's to make us think we have the right to be impatient about it? Again, not worthy of glory. Now, here's the really cool part about this whole passage that gives us comfort. Verses 26 and 7. We've talked about creation groaning and hoping. We've talked about our own groaning and hoping. The Spirit's groaning and hoping, verses 26 and 7. Let's read the whole couple verses there and then break it down. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It says, likewise, verse 26, in other words, in the same way, in the same way as creation, in the same way as the church groans and hopes, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, that, that phrase there, Spirit helps, uh, is a cool phrase. There's a Greek word, parakletos. The Spirit sometimes is called the paraclete. Uh, one way to translate the, that word literally is that he is called alongside. That's why we call him the helper. The Spirit is a helper. Called alongside. So he's a helper for us. Keep reading. For we do not know what to pray for 
as we ought. You ever, you ever been there? I, there are times in my life that's probably daily now, multiple times where I'm just at this place where I think I, I, don't, even, I don't even have the words for what is needed. There are times when I am just praying, Lord, okay, I've, I've tried this. Tried this. Tried this. Tried these other three or four things that others have told, told me to try. <laughs> the 17 things my wife has told me to try. None of it's working. I don't know what to say. It's not going to change it. It's not changing it in me. You ever felt like, Lord, you're going to have to do something because I see this. I can control this. All this other stuff that I know is out there, that I feel the effects of, that others feel the effects of, that I can't fix, you're going to have to do something about. Even in my own life, Lord, I can control this. I don't know how to fix all this. This passage says, the Spirit Himself, as in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, third person of the, the Trinity, intercedes, intervenes for us with groanings too deep for words, it says. In other words, when our, when our suffering overwhelms our capacity for speech, when our suffering overwhelms our capacity to verbalize the truth of it, God steps in and the Spirit does what we cannot. That's unbelievable. A helper is a helper when a helper steps in and does what we can't. God Himself through the Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. When our, when our suffering overwhelms our capacity for speech, God steps in and is with us and is near us and is a comfort to us. It says, verse 27, He who searches hearts, that is Old Testament language for God the Father, He who searches hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Spirit takes prayers we can't know to pray to the one who knows what we need. There is this, there is this chasm between our finitude and God's perfection that at times has to be made up for by His perfection. So the Spirit takes prayers we can't even know to pray, takes them to the one who knows what we need. That, my friend, is comfort. It's comfort that only happens through the Holy Spirit. What it means is that when life is hard, when suffering is real, when pain is tangible, and friends, we got tons and tons of folks in our congregation who know pain. In fact, if we knew the reality of the suffering going on in the lives of the people around us, it would fully overwhelm us. It is only the grace of God that we don't know as much as He knows. If we had any idea about what's going on in people's lives in terms of suffering in a way that God knew, it would, it would so fully overwhelm us that we would be in this place of groanings too deep for words that we can't express that we'd have to rely on the Holy Spirit 
in ways that we don't. So the comfort of His presence and our suffering is what He promises us. And it's a promise we know is real because the person of Jesus was not just this figment of, the, of our imagination. He came in flesh, lived perfectly through the Spirit's work in Him, the same Spirit made available to us, so that He could be a stand-in for us. His perfect sinless life lived for our imperfect life. That's the good news of the Gospel. And it's the reason why we can consider the sufferings of this present time. It's not even worth comparing. Not even worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let's pray.